Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. Now, I shared this word a few Wednesdays ago. And to kind of paint the picture and to provide some context, the nation of Israel is split. There's a northern kingdom with ten tribes, and there's a southern kingdom with two tribes. The northern kingdom has already been taken captive. They're already enslaved once again. The southern kingdom is involved in great idolatry. Their hearts are wicked. They're turning from the Lord. But in the midst of that, God raises up a prophet to come to the people, to warn them, and to give them hope. And his name is Isaiah. His name means Yahweh is salvation. His very name is speaking hope to them. But this is what happens in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah is given this amazing vision of what the Messiah, the Savior, would look like. And he gives this description of a man whose visage, his face is marred beyond recognition, how he will be wounded for our transgressions and pierced for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace will be upon him, how people will flee from him, and he'll be like a sheep led before the shears is silent. He won't say a word. And so it's a beautiful description of what would happen at the cross. But before that, before that description, let me read to you what he says. What the prophet that God sends to the nation of Israel who's backslidden, what the prophet says to the people is this, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise, be seated, O Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. He says this, get up. Wake up. God is going to do a work. I haven't created you to wallow in the dust. I haven't created you to spend your life in that valley. Wake up. Look up. Something is going to happen. Hope is coming. Salvation is coming. Listen, he goes on verse 3. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, yet you'll be redeemed without money. Your Redeemer is coming. Wake up. Hope is just around the corner. Are you ready? Figure it out, church. This word might as well be to you and I today. You need to wake up. Your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is approaching. You have no business being in the dust. Get up out of the dust. Dust yourself off. Wake up. Look up. Your salvation draws near. The Savior comes. This is our hope. This is how Paul put it in the book of Titus. He said that we should be waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That that should be what we're waiting for more than anything. 
Not waiting for what's under the tree. Not waiting for our retirement days. Not waiting for our next vacation. That the thing that we should be anticipating and waiting for more than anything is the hope that we have that Jesus and his glory is going to appear soon. Adoption means hope. Listen to this, 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, we should be preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This world is not your home. You will never find your satisfaction looking for it at the wells of the world. You'll never find fulfillment. Paul said your citizenship is in heaven. He said that you should set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. That that's where your anticipation, that's where your hope has to be fixed. If you're hoping on anything else or in anyone else, anything in this world, it's going to fail you. But when you set your hope, your absolute confidence and expectation that a promise will be fulfilled, when you set that on the return of Jesus, you will not be disappointed. Hope. There's such power in hope. And when a human spirit has hope, they can endure such great trials. Any prisoner of war who endured torture and pain had hope. Any cancer survivor that endures and survives cancer survives because there's a hope. There's a healing that is coming. There's a belief in that promise being fulfilled. And this is what the author of Hebrews described hope as in chapter 6, verse 19. He says, this hope we have, this return, this fact that we have a Savior that loves us, that gave his life for us, that's going to come for us, this hope we have is an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast. Put yourself back in that boat with the disciples, the waves breaking over the bow, the water filling up the boat. You feel like you're going to sink. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul. The anchor for the boat is in the boat. It hasn't gone anywhere. Adoption means freedom. Adoption means hope. And finally, adoption means love. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Adoption means love. And we're going to read a few verses together. We're going to see how this love is described. Beginning in verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his pleasure. That's what the word will means. According to the purpose of his pleasure. Now, pause there for a moment. First thing I want you to see, and I think it's already written down in your notes, is that this love, this kind of love that is seen in adoption, this love is a love that chooses. Did you see that there? It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the worlds were framed, he's chosen you. The word means to select by preference. 
Jesus said this. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit. The scripture says, you love God because God first loved you. Jesus said this. He says, I came to seek out and to save the lost. God's love is a love that chooses to pursue you, to select you, that you're his choice. Above all, you're his choice. Put yourselves back in grade school just for a moment. And the whole class is out there. And there's two captains that have been chosen. And this is going to be the kickball game to end all kickball games. And the captains start to choose. And they go down the class one by one by one until there are two people left at the end. And nobody wants to be the last person chosen. But somebody has to be the last person chosen. Put yourself maybe in junior high, especially you ladies, and you're at the grade school dance or the junior high dance, and there's a bunch of people out on the dance floor, and you're all dolled up. You've got your makeup, you know, as best as you can do it when you're in junior high. You've got your hair done up, right? You've got your nails looking just right. You've got your dress on, and you're just waiting for someone to approach you and ask you to dance, Nobody likes to be the last person chosen. Nobody likes to be the one still standing waiting to be asked to the dance. What the Bible says in this text is that God chose you before anything that you see even existed. He'd already selected you. He'd already said, you're the one that I prefer. You know what I'm so thankful for? I'm so thankful that God does not choose like the world chooses. And actually, the scripture says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. God chooses differently than you and I do. And I'm so thankful. Do you think that if the world were choosing how to try to build a church, that he would choose an ex-heroin addict? Or Pastor Frank, he was an addict as well, spent years on the street homeless because of his addiction, Think God would choose a guy like Dennis back there, a farmer with no training in the ministry? Think God would choose someone like Pastor Jose back there who used to dabble in the dark arts and witchcraft and stuff like that? I don't think so. I know God, if I was God, I wouldn't choose me. God doesn't choose the way the world chooses. He doesn't look for the person who can kick the ball the farthest. He doesn't look for the girl who's the most dolled up, looking the most beautiful, standing over in the line. He doesn't choose that way. He chooses those who can bring him glory. And that can be any one of you in here. He chose you before the worlds were framed. Listen to what it says about how God chooses. And he says this to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. That word treasured possession in the Hebrew is amsugula. It means your most prized possession. The thing that you own in your life that you value the most. That's what God says about the nation of Israel. He goes on. He says, It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. You were the most terrible at kickball, and you had a nappy-looking hairdo, all right? God still chose you. This is why. The Lord chose you because the Lord loves you. 
and is keeping his promise that he made to your fathers. Now, what blows my mind is that when Peter writes his epistle, 1 Peter, he uses this same language to describe the church. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. That own possession, that could be translated in Hebrew, amsagula. You are his prized treasure. That's who you are. He chose you above any others. I like to use this analogy. Anybody in the room like frozen yogurt? I'm a frozen yogurt guy. I haven't been eating a lot of it lately, but I really like frozen yogurt. And, you know, it used to be I have to go to a yogurt mill in El Cajon to get frozen yogurt. But now we have Menchie's, so you can go to Menchie's. And when you go into Menchie's, they have these little cups. And what do you do with the little cups? You sample everything, right? You sample everything. So you get a little cup and you try a little bit of each of these and you're trying to figure out which one you prefer, which one you want the most. And so here's the thing. This is what I want you to see. I hope this hits home for you. You try all those different flavors and you find the one you like the most and then you decide to pay for that one. You're the one he loved the most. And he chose you and he said, you know what, I'm going to decide to pay for this one. Out of all the flavors, out of all the people, he says, that's the one I want, you. This love is a love that chooses. Secondly, it's a love that accepts. Continue reading with me here. In verse 6, it says that this should be done to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. A better translation of that word blessed there would be accepted. And how many of you understand that people are longing for a place where they feel like they belong? I mean, if you go onto any high school campus in the valley, you're going to see cliques of kids that are all dressed the same, right? So you have a clique over here that are like the jocks with their letterman jackets and their sport jerseys or whatever. Then you have like the goth kids and they have black eyeliner under their eyes and they're all dressed in black. And then you have like the punk kids and then, you know, you have like the preppy kids. And so all of these groups of people, they're all trying to find a place where they fit in, a place where they feel accepted, a place where they feel like they belong, this scripture right here says that you are accepted, that you belong in the beloved. You're not going to find a place where you belong outside of Christ. You're not going to find a place that will satisfy you outside of Christ. You can only find that kind of peace, that kind of comfort, that kind of belonging in the presence of Christ. There was a young man who said, I want to go and I want to live the life that I want to live. I'm not willing to wait for the moment that my father says I can be adopted, that I can become a man. And so he asks his father, give me my inheritance now. And the Bible tells us that this man, this young man went off to a far country and he spent everything the father had given him. He wasted his inheritance and it was so desperate a condition that he ends up in a barnyard feeding swine, wallowing in the mud with the swine, and he's desiring even to eat the scraps that the pigs are eating. It's there in that place that he comes to himself and he remembers what life was like in the father's home. And he says to himself, my father's servants are treated better than I'm treated. So I'm going to get myself up out of this mud and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg forgiveness of my father and I'm going to ask my father to just take me back into his home, not as a son, but as a slave. It's a servant. So the young man 
takes his trek and goes back to the father. The father sees him approaching from afar, leaves his place and runs to where the boy is at. He wraps the boy in his arms and kisses the boy on his cheek. And he tells his servants, bring my son, my son who was dead, my son who was lost has been found. Here he is. Put the family ring back on him. Give him some shoes and robe him in my robe. And so all of this takes place, and the young man begins to say, Father, I've wasted what you gave me. And the father just says, quiet. You never were a slave. You've always only been my son. You never were swine. You've only ever been my son. This word accepted, literally in the Greek, what it means is to embrace or to collapse upon with grace. This is what we see happening in the story of the prodigal son, and this is what God's word says here he wants to do in adopting you, that he wants to collapse his grace on you and to take you in so that you would know that you were accepted and that this is where you belong, that this is what you've been longing for. This is where you find your peace. His love is a love that accepts. Listen to what the scripture says in John 15. It says, greater love has no one than this, than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. No longer servants. I've called you friends. You belong here with me, and that embrace is waiting to draw you in. You belong here with me. This love that we see in adoption is also a love that forgives. Read with me verse 7. In him we have redemption. The word means to buy or to pay a ransom to bring someone out of slavery. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word forgiveness means to carry away a burden. And so what God wants to do for you in this adoption process, what he wants you to understand when you're no longer called a child in the home, when you're no longer called a slave in the home, he wants you to understand that all of the burden, all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the years that you've been spending carrying that stuff around, that he carries it off of you, that he pulls it off of you. It's no longer yours to bear. You have redemption. He's paid the price. He's paid your ransom, and he's removed the guilt and shame from you. You've been set free from all of that. It's a love that forgives. But also, it's a love that blesses. Look at what it says here next. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, which he extravagantly bathed upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Pause there for a moment. This love that adopts us is a love that lavishes us with an inheritance that we did not earn and that we do not deserve. What's so special about an inheritance? The thing that's special about an inheritance is that it's bestowed upon someone that's receiving it and they didn't do any of the work. Someone else did all the work. 
Someone else paid their dues. Someone else had the sweat on their brow and blood, blood, sweat, and tears going into that work or into that inheritance. And it's just completely graced upon the one receiving it. This is what the scripture says is waiting for you and I. Jesus paid the dues. Jesus bled the sweat from the cross. He's the one who paid the price so that he could come and give you an inheritance so that you could be seen as a son and no longer a slave so you could have a seat at the table. This love that blesses is finally a love that secures. Look at this last two verses, 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What this verse is saying is, listen, you're not a son just yet, but God has given you his spirit He sealed you with that spirit, put a mark of authentication, put a mark of completion on you. He has sealed you with the spirit and left his spirit as a guarantee. Now, I don't know if it's still popular like it used to be years ago, but years ago when Christmas time was coming and you're a parent, you had to be very familiar with a layaway plan. Anybody know what a layaway plan is? You gather up all the stuff in October and you take it and you lay it away and you put a deposit, a guarantee that you're going to come back for it and then you go back every week and you pay a little bit until you can receive it. What the Bible says God has done with his Holy Spirit is he gave you the Spirit as a guarantee. He put a down payment on you. And what that down payment says is I intend to come back. I intend to bring them back. And here's what I love about our salvation, about our adoption. It's not dependent upon our works. The Bible says that he keeps guard over our salvation. And the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. It's not based upon your goodness. It's not based upon your works. It's not based upon your effort. It's all his doing. All you have to do is trust So, as a challenge today, how are you living? This doctrine of adoption, what it speaks to you is that God intends for you to live free, to no longer live under the thumb of the law, to no longer live life as a slave to sin, but to come to the Father's table and to enjoy fellowship with the Father. This doctrine of adoption, what does it show us? It shows us that we should have hope. Hope even in the midst of our suffering and trial. Hope that there's a better day just around the corner because hope is on the way and hope has a name and it's Jesus. This doctrine of adoption shows us the great love with which God loves you. That he chose you. He secures you, seals you, he blesses you. All of that is for you. You're accepted in him. But I wonder how many of us would look in the mirrors today and say, you know what, I'm not living a life that is worthy of that kind of love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my word, keep my commandments. You have the opportunity this morning to come before the Lord and say, God, I'm tired of living like a slave. I'm tired of living like a child. I want to start living like a son. Give me the strength to live this life like a child, like the child of God you've already called me. God will meet you in that place if you're honest with where you're at.
Father, we pray that you would bless now this time. We invite your spirit to continue to do the work that you've already begun in us. Lord, your word has been spoken. It's in our heart. But Lord, there's still a decision. There's still a choice that each of us has to make. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to surrender everything to you this morning and that we would not leave this place a slave, that we would not leave this place a child, but that we would leave this place a son. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.